Welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. And we are here with an extra special podcast today. We are coming to you live this morning to discuss the second Republican presidential debate. We are so grateful for those of you joining us while we venture into yet another live debate or live podcast. And for those of you joining after the fact, we appreciate you too. Today, we have three incredible panelists joining us. Again, we figured who better to help us analyze the second debate than those same folks who helped us break down the first debate. So let's start by welcoming back to the podcast, Representative Walter Hudson. Hudson is in his first term in the Minnesota House and represents the Albertville, Otsego, and St. Michael area. Next is GOP strategist, operative, and good friend, John Rouleau. John has long been active in Republican politics, currently serving as the executive director of the Minnesota Jobs Coalition. It is also his birthday. And our third panelist is a pro in the Republican messaging and communications world, Priya Samsundar. Priya has worked for the MNGOP and the RNC. And again, for full disclosure, Priya is currently working with the Nikki Haley Presidential Super PAC. We are a bit more well-rested today and have had a little bit more time to analyze and assess what we watched last night. So we are ready to break down the second debate. As you listen, head over to our website at bbbreakpod.com or on X. Twitter uh, at BB Break Pod and let us know what you thought of the debate and our analysis. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the show. So we are going to start um, with a very similar format to what we had last time around. We're going to do a quick round robin, brief introduction for anybody who maybe didn't catch the last debate panel, and then give us initial one, two uh, minutes on the general debate overview. Um, we'll start with Representative Hudson. Thanks. Uh, for once again, having me as a uh, part of this panel to discuss the second GOP presidential primary debate. Um, you know, there's uh, an old adage, and and Michael's probably familiar with this, having had some experience in uh, the journalistic field, that you really shouldn't make yourself the story and uh, as the reporter, as the journalist. And I really felt as though uh, way too much attention uh, was placed on the production itself rather than the candidates. I was very very disappointed by how much this resembled a reality TV show or a game show um, or a third grade uh, playground fight as opposed to an actual substantive policy debate. There were moments, and we'll get to those, um, but my initial impression was, boy, what a missed opportunity to have a, a substantive policy debate at a time when that moment is called for. John. And thanks for having us uh, back on. Uh, looking forward to talking about the debate and what we saw, but I've got to agree with Representative Hudson. Uh, my biggest takeaway from last night was what an absolute failure and a miss from Fox News. Uh, they had an opportunity to showcase some candidates, talk about policies and positions. Uh, you know, and the more that I kind of thought about it and watched it, uh, I think that it's a format problem, right? And it uh, it ended up hindering the candidates in that as they were going through, it was almost like the uh, the hosts were trying to debate the candidates themselves. Uh, so everybody was getting different questions, uh, which I think was an awkward format for the candidates up there because they wanted to engage with one another. They wanted to debate one another. Uh, but by the time that you know they ask one question, then it bounces to another candidate uh, with a completely different question. So they're you know trying to you know, sort of shoehorn a response to the person who just spoke uh, into another answer about a question that they were just asked. Uh, but they're, you know, I think the panelists lost control of the debate uh, and the format itself, I think, was really a hindrance. But uh, 
that's my big takeaway is just what an absolute missed opportunity for Fox. Agreed. Priya. So I've got two takeaways from the debate last night. So I agree with Walter and John on on the fact that, you know, this was just a huge swing in this for Fox News. Uh, Just right out of the gate when Varney kind of botched the introduction there, I just, (laughs) I had an inkling where I was like, oh, this is just not going to go well. And sure enough, it did it. You know, Fox, for for all of, you know, its efforts, they did not have control of the debate stage. Um, You know, this should have been expected after the first debate where a a lot of folks didn't have airtime. This really is, you know, the start of, of crunch time for a lot of these candidates where donors are starting to take a look to see, okay, where, where's my money best invested in? If, you know, we're going to take on Donald Trump uh, in the Iowa caucuses in the New Hampshire primary. You know, where is my money best bet? You know, this is an opportunity for voters to take a harder look and, and make that decision to further finalize their decision making process. And uh, it, it should have been expected that some of these guys were going to want to get on that stage and try to insert themselves, especially since the first debate was, you know, largely forgettable for a lot of the candidates on that stage and so to not be prepared to cut mics and to you know ensure that this debate ran smoothly i think that was just a huge hit and uh hit and miss for uh for fox news um you know really surprised because i do love the moderators on that stage so it was just very disappointing to see see them just not have control of the debate uh, but on the second point as well, you know, I think if we're looking at overall, I think it was just another good night for Nikki Haley. Um, I think she just continued to show that she had uh, command of the stage, command of the issues. And, uh, you know, it, it was something that I frankly expected to see, be, mind you, being her on her, her super PAC here and being a supporter. But um, I think it just, her answers, it just, further set her apart from everybody else on that debate stage amid all of the squabbles and the fighting. Michael, your thoughts. First of all, I want to thank everyone for joining again and Becky for leading this discussion today. I'm going to agree with what everyone said prior to me about the format first. I'm surprised in 2023 after the number of presidential debates that have been televised that we can't come up with a better, more structured format for these debates. I said it the last time that we did this uh, post analysis that I thought the format of having that many candidates on the stage is challenging. And I know that we, I know what the role of the party, particularly at the national level, is support the candidates and provide a platform and a stage for all of the candidates in the race to get some exposure so the public can gauge and get some interest in the various campaigns, I just think that they need to cut off some of these candidates more. I think there needs to be a higher threshold for candidates to be on the stage. That I think would allow for, um, I don't know if you can do a, in essence, a JV squad, then varsity, because that gets challenging. Then you're picking winners or losers. But I think they need going forward into future debates. I think they need to be structured in a way where there's fewer candidates. That allows for more contrast I think more uh, discussion on the issues, which is ultimately what I think the Republican candidates need to be focused on. 
And it just turned in, it just got out of control very quickly. And that's unfortunate. And I think if there were fewer candidates on the stage, it would, there would be more focus on substance presentation and it'd be, it would be an overall better platform for the Republican uh, party at the national level to showcase candidates. That being said, uh, I do want to say that I think Nikki Haley did a fantastic job. And I think she was the clear winner of last night's debate. Although, again, Donald Trump wasn't on the stage. And so I'll finish my remarks. And again, by saying thank you to all you guys for participating, everyone for participating. I really appreciate it. Um, just, just to concur with everybody else, I do think, you know, the format is just troubling. I, d I don't love the not all of the panelists get the same questions. Like for one example, I did feel for Burgum when he didn't get an answer on an energy question, which is something that's very hot topic in his state right now. Um, and I just think that it, it then detracted when they that person did get speaking time, then they went back, answered that question, the 60 second for answers, and then 30 second rebuttal too. It's just my, if I was creating these debates, I think they should be issue focused. We should have one that's on the economy. We should have one that's on, you know, foreign affairs. We should have one that's on social issues or whatever it might be. But um, I just want to also throw out, um, like I did last time, um, the discrepancies between those who sp spoke the most and the least. Um, DeSantis spoke for 12 and a half minutes total. Um, Burgum was the least with seven and a half minutes. Um, and surprisingly, Haley with only, she was second to least amount of minutes um, with nine and uh, did have a strong performance. But when I think of what these debates are supposed to be is, is really relaying where Republican candidates stand on the issues. And then when we look down this um, New York Times also where they have the speaking minutes, they also have a, a layout of um, the subjects that were spoken or the issues that were discussed the most. Um, border security came in top with five and a half. Um, you know, national security is down at 115. Um, but one that was really surprising to me, and not that Republicans love to talk about it, but one that I do think is going to be important, and we don't need to get into the issue. I'm just stating the fact that abortion was spoken about for one minute and five seconds in a two-hour debate of something that is so monumental for a lot of voters right now. Um, I think there was a lot of missed opportunities from candidates not being able to relay good messaging or even having that time to answer in general. So um, concur with it all. I think it needs to be more focused. It was just um, at times I really wanted to like cover my ears because there was so much chaos that it was really tough to listen to. And I say that as a mother of a 14 month old who there is music and chaos in my house at all times. So um, with that, uh, we're going to go around again. Last time we focused on winners and losers. Today, we're going to turn our attention to since it is the second debate, there is more time since the last one in just both debate world and general presidential politics. want to talk about um, who, if anyone, gained ground in the second debate that that maybe in your debate view or presidential view, obviously, you know, aside from, you know, Donald Trump being the front runner still, if anybody um, on that debate stage gained ground from their performance last night. John, we'll start with you. So, yeah, as I kind of watched the debate, uh, one thing that jumped out to me is that Tim Scott, I think, clearly has the award for most improved performance. Uh, you know, last debate, I kind of forgot that he was on the stage a lot of times. Uh, there was, uh, he seemed uncomfortable. He seemed like he was kind of trying to get some canned responses. Last night, he seems like he settled into uh, kind of his voice and found that a little bit. Uh, I thought that he gave a couple of memorable responses. Uh, 
So I think Tim Scott got most improved. I think Ron DeSantis had a much better night than he did last uh, debate. I think that he also kind of seems to have settled in, uh, kind of found his voice a little bit and got more comfortable. Uh, And I think it'll be interesting to see where anybody goes from that. Uh, Vivek, I think, uh, also had a better night. Uh, And one of the things that really jumped out to me was how he did a complete 180 on how he was uh, trying to engage and interact with the other candidates on that stage. Uh, He went from calling them all bought and paid for and frauds uh, in the first debate to now saying that he respects all of them and they're great people. Uh, He tried to kind of walk back and say, I'm not a know-it-all. I'm not, you know, this cocky young kid. Uh, So clearly his team, I think, has seen that what he did last time uh, was not really what was going to resonate with the voters. Uh, And I think it'll be interesting to see uh, if he's able to kind of continue that uh, you know, switch uh, or if he's going to get branded as just, you know, this is another flip flop that's come from him, uh, which I think is something that, you know, people are rightly accusing him of where uh, he's kind of been on a lot of side or on both sides of a lot of issues multiple times. Uh, so, uh, but I thought that his performance last night uh, was a little bit less jarring, a little bit less obnoxious. Uh, and I think those are the three who uh, I saw who did better last night than they had the first time. Priya, your thoughts. So I think if we're talking about overall performance, obviously I think, you know, again, biased here, but Nikki Haley did have the better night out of everyone on that stage. Not, you know, as you kind of pointed out, she was second to last when it came to minutes talking on that debate stage but time and time again when she did have the opportunity to have the mic to have a substantive debate and talk about the issues she came ready with a plan she was very coherent in her arguments and she wasn't afraid to push back and and like stand her ground on some of the attacks that were thrown her way it was very clear i think last night that folks saw nikki haley as the candidate to like beat And so you saw Tim Scott take the first swing that, um, frankly, his campaign has made against her the entire cycle. Um, Mind you, I don't think that debate, that hit landed the way that he thought it would. Um, And I think the same thing with, you know, DeSantis, he tried to, you know, hit her a little bit. That didn't land as well. Meanwhile, on the flip side, like Nikki Haley had substantive arguments. It wasn't personal attacks. They were about their records. And so, you know, talking about, you know, Tim Scott being in uh, the the Senate for 12 years, what do you have to show for it? Talking about fracking and Ron DeSantis, um, you know, I think she overall had a better debate performance because she offered a solution to Americans. Whereas I think, for a lot of other folks watching on the debate stage, it was more squabbles and fighting, and it was very clear that they were trying to get their two cents in. I think if you're trying to talk about a, a general performance, not looking at substance, I, I agree with John. I think Tim and Ron did have a better night because they spoke up more. It, to you know John's point, uh, they were forgettable during the first debate, and you had to to remind yourself that the floor, the governor of Florida and a United States senator from South Carolina were on that debate stage. They tried to force themselves into the conversation, and at times it, it came across as awkward. But, I mean, 
you gotta you gotta say that they did try to make themselves more present this time around same with Doug Burgum you know definitely tried to insert himself into the conversation more um but whether or not it it played well you know I'm gonna have to say no on that front representative sorry I might be having some technical issues here but I'm assuming you queued me up so I I have to uh once again um validate Priya's bias uh, by agreeing in large part with um, her analysis of Nikki Haley. Um, I felt as though Nikki Haley did a very good job of solidifying her lane. And that, in my view, is kind of the, I'll, I'll unpack this a little bit, but like the McDonald's Republican. And what I mean by that is when you go to McDonald's, no matter what city you're in, no matter what state you're in, you know what you're getting, you know what it tastes like, you know what to expect. And I feel as though Um, kind of the conventional, well-worn, what a Republican looks like and sounds like in your head lane uh, was very well dominated by Nikki Haley last night to the expense of or at the expense of other candidates who are vying for that spotlight, whether you're talking about Tim Scott um, or Mike Pence or Burgum or any of these guys. Haley is the one to beat in their lane. Um, and especially with the efficiency with which she managed the clock and managed to get her points across in a, a very balanced and um, stern manner and to handle herself opposite these guys who were coming at her um, without flinching uh, was very impressive. I, I feel as though, you know, we've talked a lot about the format and how this debate was managed and produced. And, you know, I found myself wanting to hear from certain candidates more and wanting to hear from other candidates less. And Haley was certainly on the list of candidates. She's my candidate or because I necessarily have any intention of um, voting for or supporting her, but because what she was saying was substantive and it represented a point of view that deserved to be heard on that stage. Whereas as a lot of the, the candidates like the like a Tim Scott um, or Mike Pence, the things that they were saying were, you know, basically Hallmark card platitudes that I could get from anybody on the street. I don't need a, Tim Scott to sit there and take up debate time on a, a Fox News stage telling me those things. Um, and so I think we're at the point here where whenever we have another debate um, to Michael's point earlier, we need to have fewer candidates on stage. We need to focus on the people who are bringing a unique unique and substantive perspective to the to the issues. Nikki Haley's on that list. Ron DeSantis is on that list. You might not all agree with me that Vivek's on that list, um, but it's a very short list at this point. You know, Donald Trump and those three out of tonight uh, or last night are really the only ones who I'm interested in hearing more from. Michael, your insights from the night. I think the Nikki Tim Scott dynamic is going to be very, is very interesting. And I think that it would be interesting. I think that's going to be a narrative coming out of this debate a bit. I put Nikki Haley far ahead of Tim Scott, but they certainly had a dynamic between the two of them that I think Tim Scott will benefit from. So if I do think that there is a candidate that gained ground, did good, Tim Scott is one of them. Again, but I think like the like the first debate, what we're talking most about today is the performance of, of Nikki Haley. And I think independent of 
what we're saying, it, it's, I think it's what the general narrative is out there is that Nikki Haley had a good night. I think it's always in the shadow of where the placement is in the race with Donald Trump. And I think if there's ever an opportunity for Nikki Haley to, to appear on a debate stage with Donald Trump prior to the Republican nomination, getting one or two other candidates on there, I think would be an incredibly interesting situation. I don't know if that's going to happen. But just to sum up again, I think Nikki Haley, Tim Scott are candidates that I think folks are talking about today. And and I certainly, as I was watching the debate, particularly after the first one, I remember this discussion, and I think it was John Rillo who said in our analysis for the in the first debate, he brought up Tim Scott. And I I think I remember it saying I had forgotten that you know there was a United States Senator Tim Scott was on the stage. This time at least. There's much more awareness about his presence on the stage. He was much more engaged in the discussion. And I think that shows by the fact that we're talking about him today. And so I think from that standpoint, I think his candidacy went up a bit. But I would still give Haley one, I think, who did the best and gained ground. Um, I would have to say I I think Scott and DeSantis both uh, outperformed their first performance. Um, in particular, I one one line that I wrote down was um, on the childcare question. Um, Scott had an answer that really resonated with me. And again, you know, I, I talk about it a lot, but I think Republican or uh, suburban women are a big target. And so anytime we can make some inroads there, um, he had mentioned that, you know, more parents having more resources to make decisions for their family is what Republicans want to stand behind when it comes to childcare and childcare costs. Um, and then we had this, I mean, off, uh, an offshoot here, but Vivek then came in and turned it into a question and a rant about the American dream, which was a big frustration that I'll come back to later. But I think Scott had some standout moments that were very genuine. I think he is a genuine candidate, and I think that came across a little bit more. And I think he showed that he has the ability and the fire to fight a little bit. And I think that was a need. Uh, DeSantis, I think last, I I was underwhelmed with his performance in the first one. And I think this time he came out a little bit more of the DeSantis that um, we've, we've expected to see from him. So... I think there's a lot of agreement there. And if we switch to who lost ground, as we know, with the good comes the bad. So another lap around um, who, if anybody lost ground after last night's debate, we are going to start with Priya this time. So I think for the similar reasons that I said, Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis gained ground (laughs) for showing up and actually reminding folks that they're on the debate stage. I think that they lose ground because when it came to the substantive answers um, that they offered, it wasn't there. Uh, And I think there are a couple of instances that we can point to. So, you know, Tim Scott was asked to, you know, tell Nikki Haley why he should be president over her. Um, And, you know, he tried to go after her for, um, you know, his, his big line was about a debunked New York Times piece over curtains that Obama bought years ago, tried to attack her for that, Um, even though the New York Times and Vanity Fair and every other mainstream outlet had to retract that story because it had nothing to do with Nikki Haley whatsoever. I think if you're going to take a shot, especially if it's your first shot off the bow, um, at an opponent like Nikki Haley, especially someone that you largely in part have to thank for your career because she did appoint him to the U.S. Senate. 
um, but also has been a friend for a very long time, you got to make sure your, your shot lands. And the fact that that was the only thing that he could come at her with and then have it fail on top of that, I think that shows that he just wasn't necessarily ready for that question um, and definitely wasn't ready to have that conversation. And that just further you know, begs the question, if you can't take on you know, the governor you've been friends with for how many years, can you take on Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Um, and I think for the same thing on Ron DeSantis' side, you know, he did have these moments where he was able to break out um, and, and be a part of the conversation. But I, on two instances, he really kind of fell flat. And that was when Nikki Haley went after him over the fracking comments. You know, he tried to say, you know, you're lying. It's not true. Well, fact checks from last night showed that on his second day, he instituted um an executive order to ban fracking in the state of Florida. And he has a congressional record that showed that he was not as friendly to fracking on that front. And I mean, you could have gone one step further if you wanted to and talk about how he uh, is not a friend of farmers or the ethanol biofuels industry, because he makes no mention of that in his energy plan um, or the fact that he's tried to get rid of um, year round E15. I mean, that could have been a whole other segue that you could have gotten into last night, but he really fell flat when it came to talking about fracking oil and gas, um, where in reality, that should have been a bigger hit for him um, to come back on. And I also thought the second thing that he fell flat on is, um, is the insurance question. You know, they asked him about healthcare costs being twice as high in the state of Florida compared to everywhere else in the country. You know, this is not an issue that is new for the state of Florida. Um, it's not an issue that's new for DeSantis. He should have been able to have a, a, an answer right off the bat to how um, either he was solving the problem or was working to fix the problem, uh, which again, with a supermajority in the state of Florida, he should have figured that out in the first four years. But again, a, another conversation for another time. Um, but throughout the answer, he seemed to be searching and reaching and trying to, to work his way through that answer. And I think if you can't answer a question about, that is affecting your state specifically, that you have control over to try and, and fix it, I, I think that was a down moment for him too, where Floridians are going to be looking back and be you know, like, yeah, this is what we've been struggling with. What have you been doing about it? Um, so I think for those two reasons, um, you know, he did uh, he did lose some ground on the substantive side. And then again, you know, Vivek, you know, try, trying to join TikTok because Jake Paul, he had lunch with Jake Paul, an influencer who's definitely not going to be voting in a Republican primary and probably definitely not going to be voting in a Republican general election. I, I just think for all of the concerns that we have about China and, and their data mining um, of American teenagers, it, it just was not a good move on his part and to double down on it bad decision and it's not going to play well with uh the primary caucus uh voters who are paying attention right now all right representative hudson you're up yeah so i would say that as a consequence of nikki haley having the performance that she did and doing as well as she did it as i had stated earlier kind of shoved her competition in that lane out of the limelight so tim scott Mike Pence, Doug Burgum, these are guys who were not, they're trying to bring the same thing that she's bringing, but they're not doing it as well or um, with as much engagement or conviction 
and therefore becoming completely redundant. Like we don't need to hear from these guys if they're um, offer a perspective that's different and offer it in a way that's better or more effective than Nikki Haley is offering it. So I would say by virtue of the fact that um, I have no interest in hearing from either or any of those guys, again, uh, they definitely lost ground. The other person who I think lost ground for a different reason was Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, and I don't, I don't think he had a bad night per se, but I could definitely tell that he was off his game and he seemed a little off balance. And it's funny because people make fun of him. He was called chat GPT by, um, Chris Christie, who's also on my list of folks I don't need to hear from anymore, by the way, but that whole chat GPT meme about Vivek. Uh, it's it's funny because there's a certain amount of truth to it, right? He really does seem to kind of cut and paste talking points into his delivery, um, and it it as a result, it doesn't always come off as being authentic. And I think in the first debate, he was much more relaxed. I think the personality that rubbed people the wrong way some people in that first debate is actually his genuine personality and so it's easier for him to act it out and that this time around it was a little bit more artificial because he was trying to play mr nice guy um which is not his natural uh manner of operating he's he's somebody who gets in there and tells you what he thinks and is uncensored and authentic and so whenever he tries to script himself reason uh he was a little more off balance last night than he has been in the past and probably lost a little bit of ground well said um john we'll move to you i think uh mike pence had a much worse night last night than he did the first debate uh his dad jokes fell flat it was painful he had his please clap moment where you know, he would try and deliver these awkward jokes and nobody responded at all. And he just kind of stood there and didn't really know what to do. Uh, so I think he moved backwards. Uh, Chris Christie, I think, is uh, another one of those who his, uh, his lines were landing flat. I think he was playing for an audience of one. Uh, but... I don't know how well the Donald Duck uh, line uh, worked. I think that there were better ways to go on that. Uh, and then I think, you know, the other people who uh, moved backwards really are the Republican primary voters. Uh, you know, you watch that debate last night. It was an absolute train wreck. Uh, Fox dropped the ball. But if you look at the bigger picture, right, everybody on that stage, if you add all of them up in these early states, they're 20 points behind Donald Trump and there still was very, very little contrast with Donald Trump and they got to find a way to get votes from the guy who's in the lead. You know, politics is an addition problem and you've got to find a way to get more votes than the other person. And you can't do that by stealing the votes from everybody on that stage because you still lose by 20 points. You've got to find a way to get votes from the front runner. You've got to drive him down, move his voters away from him. And frankly, if you can't move his voters away from him, then why the hell are you running? Because that's the only reason to run is to win. You know, if you're running to try and sell a book or if you're running to try and 
you know, start a company or get a speaking gig on CNN or Fox News or whatever it is, get out of the way. But for right now, if you can't figure out how to take votes from Donald Trump, get out of the race and admit that it's over. Because if you can't do that, you lose by 20 anyways. Michael? I would say the people who lost ground, number one, Mike Pence. He's incredibly stiff. He makes Al Gore look vibrant and alive. Mike Pence is just stiff. The format with the multiple candidates on there, particularly with, I would argue, to be much stronger personalities than he has, creates the type of environment for Mike Pence to just be forgotten about very quickly. There's a clear evangelical lane. I don't think it's a substantive lane. I don't think it's a, a path to the nomination, but there is a, a clear section, a clear lane of activists inside the party in that evangelical lane. And Mike Pence is trying to appeal to them. And I just, as John said, the dad jokes, the kind of stiffness, it just, it's just not working for him. And also to John's point about what the framework of this race is, Donald Trump is in the lead by a sizable amount. And I don't think with his presence not being there on stage, with him not being there, I think it creates an environment where candidates have to simultaneously talk about themselves, but then talk about someone who isn't there. And it's difficult to have a that one-sided conversation and not have that real-time contrast. And Donald Trump has made, by not being on the stage, he has made it very difficult for there to be real-time compare and contrast of his record. And tactically, it's a decision that's, I think, playing to his advantage. Chris Christie is someone who I think needs to have more depth to his campaign, more than just being the anti-Trump guy. And I saw that again last night, that his jokes about Donald Trump, his poking of Trump, his speaking directly to Trump, that only works for so long. And not having Trump in the room engaging with him, I think makes that bit, that strategy less effective. Vivek, I think, to Representative Hudson's point, I think he was much more vibrant in the first debate, which was somewhat bothersome, but he seemed to dial that back a bit in this debate. And I think if he stays true to himself, he's going to get more attention and more enthusiasm as much as I don't think his candidacy resonates with me. Um, finally, someone who I thought lost ground simply because of the structure of the debate. And this is where I think the RNC and, and people who are organizing these debates need to do a better job as Doug Burgum. There just isn't in the, the time frame that's allotted when you have three hosts of the debate competing with the other candidates, a candidate like him is just going to get lost in the mix. And that's unfortunate. I don't want to take anything away from the governor of North Dakota, but the format just doesn't lend itself. And the dynamics of this race, particularly with Trump not being there, three hosts and the number of candidates that are there, these aren't the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And it's difficult for someone like that to, to get through. And so arguably from his stylistic standpoint and how he presents himself, coupled with the format of the debate, I just think that he, there's not a lot of, there's not any credible claim that could be made that he gained ground or that he had any breakthrough moments or anything of substance that we're talking about related to his performance. Becky. Yes. So um, I largely agree with both Pence and Christie. Too many rehearsed lines. Pence at the beginning, one of his that I literally wrote down was, Joe Biden doesn't belong on the picket line. He belongs in the unemployment line. And then there was that awkward pause. 
and he didn't get the response and and then he tried to do you know come back from that and 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 that happened time and time again i think it happened with christy and the donald dunk line i think it happened with pence and i've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years which i don't think he meant in the way it came across but it came across right i mean that was one of the number one things i i saw on social media last night so um those two i i i you got to have some of those things in your pocket but it has to come across authentically and i think it just came across poorly for both Pence and Christy. Unfortunately, you know, Christy's my guy. So that was unfortunate. Um, and now I'm going to go on my rant real quick on Vivek. Um, the child care question, he was one of the two that got asked about child care costs, 70,000 potentially child care facilities um, going out of business. John and I have young children um, and, and the cost of child care is outstanding right now. And should 70,000 more close, I can only imagine this is a topic that is a really awesome opportunity for Republicans to message to parents and 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 parents across the country. Um, I, I've said it before: Republicans are never going to be the compassionate party. We're not giving everything away for free. We're not, you know, going out and being that helping hand to every single person, every single family, business, whatever it might be. But we do have compassion and we do have a way that we can speak to this. And I think that that was, I think Tim Scott did a really good job on that. But I think Vivek, this was. He went completely off. He didn't even want to talk about childcare or parents, and maybe that's because he cannot relate. But as president, you need to find a way to step into that. And you know, you use the old. Yesterday, I talked to John and Sarah, and they, you know, they they want to have a third kid, but can't because childcare costs. And how sad it is that they can't add to their family. You know, there's a way to like show some of that compassion with the solution, and that really bothered me. I thought that Vivek pontificated the whole time. I thought he sounded arrogant. I thought he came across he. He gave me the ick last night. I was really like, it was just nails on a chalkboard to me when he answered, because I don't think that, well, I think I, I, I don't remember who mentioned it, that, that, that was his, is his personality that we're coming to believe or see that this is who he is. He's not putting on a front. I guess I just maybe don't like who he is or because it, it just really spurred me the wrong way. I think it did not, I think with some of his answers, it was a really loss of opportunity for Republicans and, um, that bothered me. As you can tell, that was my, that was my rant of the day that I was pretty fired up about last night. So, um, with that, I, I think we've mentioned a couple key moments that we like, but I do want to have a, have a time to focus on some of these key moments, good or bad. So due to timing, we're just a little under 20 minutes or just about 20 minutes left here. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to find one or maybe two, either a moment that stands out here, a favorite line, biggest oops, general sad moment where you maybe got the ick from a candidate like I did. Um, what was said and by who? Representative Hudson, I'm going to throw it to you first. All right. Um, so my favorite moment came from Vivek. And it's it's interesting because it kind of runs in contrast with the other things that we've been saying about him. Um, I, I think we've all been critical of his performance last night. But this one particular moment is why he's still on my radar and why I still think he's someone who deserves to be heard from um, in this conversation going forward. And it was a moment when he pivoted to telling a story about some parents who he had met uh, who had lost their son to a fentanyl overdose. And the circumstances were that the kid, as I recall, ordered um, a prescription drug uh, for antidepressant, I believe it was, off of some social media platform. And unbeknownst to him, it was laced with fentanyl. And as a result, he overdosed 
and sadly passed away. And uh, Vivek used that story to talk about us, not just one particular issue, not just fentanyl as such, but kind of a, a spectrum of issues that have and, and tied it back into the root cause of these social ills. And that is a, a lack of purpose and meaning and fulfillment. You might use the word pride. Um, that we have in ourselves as Americans, like there's there's a, a real lack of aspiration and fulfillment and meaning and purpose in the lives of so many people right now in this country. And that plays itself out in the form of all of these different social problems that can even rise to the level of costing someone their life. I really appreciate that aspect of his candidacy that he he's bringing to the table kind of these root causes and therefore providing us the opportunity as Republicans to talk about the thing we're for, right? This is one of the common criticisms that certainly um, as an elected official, as a candidate, and as an activist, I'm used to hearing people complain about Republicans only being against stuff and not being for it. Well, this is something that we can be for. We're for meaning, fulfillment, purpose, vision, virtue, right? Uh, it almost becomes this borderline spiritual conversation. And I think when we go there, it gives us the opportunity to be compassionate, to talk about issues in a way that gets people nodding. Now, is Vivek the best messenger for that? Uh, probably not, but he has the virtue of being one of the only taking the conversation in that direction. And I really appreciate that. And I uh, wish that more candidates would follow in his lead. John, your turn. Uh, you know, I think we've hit on the most painful uh, moments of the debate, and it's got to be Pence and uh, Christie with Donald Duck. Uh, those really stuck out and jumped out to me. Uh, best line of the night might go to the Trump campaign who put out a statement right afterwards that said tonight's GOP debate was as boring and as inconsequential as the first debate. And that sums it up for me. Uh, you know, it was really an inconsequential debate. It didn't change anything. I wasted two hours of my life to quote Nikki Haley, quoting Billy Madison. I award you no points. We are all dumber for having listened to that entire thing. Uh, and frankly, if I wasn't doing this analysis right now, I would have shut it off five minutes then. It was a absolute train wreck of a debate, and I wasted two hours of my life. And uh, my condolences to the people who have wasted 45 minutes of their life listening to us talk about uh, that debate, because uh, that's the biggest loser of the night is the debate and the people who had to sit there and watch it. Oh, I love it. That is very great. Uh, Priya. Well, I would love to mention the Billy Madison line because that was pure gold from Nikki Haley. I actually think her best line of the night came from when she like steered the direction back to talk about the government shutdown, where she simply said, if Congress doesn't pass a budget, they shouldn't get paid. No budget, no pay. And I think that resonates with a lot of people because that is the conversation that's happening right now. Um, and so many, there's so much uncertainty that is surrounding a gov potential government shutdown, what is going to happen to families, uh, farmers who are no longer going to have access to USDA during harvest season, you know, military families who might not be getting a check, seniors who have social security. There's just a lot of uncertainty around that right now. And I think 
it's been part of her brand to really call out both sides of the aisle when it comes to uh, the reckless spending in Washington and our, our national debt. And so it really was just on brand for her to say, look, nobody should get paid if you can't do your job. Um, and I think that resonated with a lot of people because internally they're like, well, if I don't do my job, I can't get paid. So why should they? Um, and I think the loser of the night, again, goes back to Tim Scott's argument with Nikki Haley over the curtains. And it's not for the reason that you, you might think. I think it hurt it as I think it hurt his brand in the long term because Tim Scott has really fashioned himself as this man of faith, really leaned in on the Christian conservative uh, messaging, really leaning in on his faith. Um, a lot of his ads in Iowa have really been dedicated uh, to his faith um, and his relationship with Christ. And I think to have your first big hit, to have your first big attack be false I think that sends a message that your brand is really not as concrete as you make it out to be. You're, you're the man of faith that just lied on stage in front of millions of people about your opponent. How does that conflate? And I think that just really hurt his overall brand in the long run. These folks are talking about him, but they're not talking about him in a positive way. Michael, what stood out to you? I'm going to take a little bit of a different attack with than Prey did with Tim Scott. I, I do think his statement that he'd been discriminated against, but America is not a fundamentally a racist nation, I think is going to spark a lot of discussion. I think Tim Scott also going after Ron DeSantis for the discussion on whether there were redeeming qualities in slavery and shut the door on that kind of conversation. I do think that there's a that there's a going to be some discussion about Tim Scott in the aftermath of this debate. I don't believe that he poses any substantive threat to, to Nikki Haley's candidacy, but I do think there's going to be some discussion a lot more in the days after this debate about Tim Scott and some of the comments that he made, and not in a controversial sense, but this just the discussion that I think the media and analysts are going to focus on. Unfortunately, I do agree with John about the debate. Had we... I watched it last night as homework for this live stream. Had we not been doing this, I would have shut it off because it just was not a good format. It didn't start well. I think probably the biggest blunder of the night was the moderator, Dana Perino, asking near the end for people to vote someone off the island. Look, this isn't uh, MTV. This isn't Survivor. I wasn't involved in the planning of the debate. I got the sense that I was off the cuff. That was a surprise of the candidates. And I just don't think that's a good move to surprise people on a live stage during a presidential debate. I think it was a blunder on her part. And I think the media sometimes, even conservative media sometimes, I think does too much to insert themselves in or moderators do into the debate. And I think aside from the candidates on the stage, that was a pretty sizable blunder on her part. And I just don't think Fox Business on the whole did a good job in structuring that debate and how they presented it. That's my response. Let's go around the horn here and talk about the next question, which is change of the state of the race. Where Does anybody think that the second debate changed the state of the race in any way? Or even more broadly, has the state of the race changed in any other way since our first debate uh, a month ago, since our first conversation in August? It's been roughly a month. I think it was August 23rd was the last debate. So we're almost exactly a month away. We'll start with Preya. 
I absolutely think it has. I think we've gone from a place where Ron DeSantis was, you know, the Republican savior to come in and uh, be the guy to take on Donald Trump. I think he's now in the mix with everyone else. But I also think that the narrative has shifted as we've seen poll numbers rise for Nikki Haley uh, in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. We've seen the what four or five head-to-head matchup polls showing her consistently beating Joe Biden when everyone else is kind of uh, tied, statistically tied in the mix. Um, I think that's changed the state of the race, but I think the big thing last night for me that really spoke to me that she is now considered the number two has kind of risen into that place of where DeSantis was at, uh, was the fact that the Trump campaign attacked her last night. And that is something that they have never done. Um, they're, have, they've been solely focused on making fun of Chris Christie for um, personal reasons. And they have focused on Ron DeSantis. But even then, um, it hasn't been um, really consistent. But last night, they went after Nikki Haley and went after pretty her pretty hard by trying to compare her to Hillary Clinton. And I think that, in my mind, is a sign that they see a new challenger on the rise um, in Nikki, but also the fact that Democrats were actively attacking her last night as well um, and actively trying to go after her because the Biden Brain Trust thinks she is the candidate to be. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, a, a saying that, you know, if you're if you're incurring wrath from folks, you're probably doing something right. So um, the fact that she's got both Donald Trump and Joe Biden's uh, eyes and ears our campaign and everything she's doing is a, is a good sign for us. But I think it's the big signal that the race is changing. Representative Hudson, your thoughts on the ultimate state of the race at this time? Yeah, I don't think, I mean, we kind of touched on this point earlier when John pointed out that um, the Trump campaign's response to the debate was that it was largely inconsequential. I don't think that this debate is going to have um, any real impact on the state of the race whatsoever other than perhaps to signal to donors that uh they need to start consolidating um in in whatever lane it is that they're supporting and um, as stated previously i believe that nikki haley uh, has with kind of one fell swoop um demonstrated that there's a whole bunch of other people on that stage that are not doing uh her lane as well as she can um, and so if there is any impact, it'll probably be long term in terms of uh, the money drying up for those candidates um, who are following in her coattails. But as far as you know, where things uh, land with the state of the race, Donald Trump being way out ahead, um, DeSantis being the, the most likely non-Trump candidate or contender, uh, and Vivek trailing a distant third uh, as kind of a bizarre combination of Trump surrogate and um, agitator bringing something completely different to the race. All of that is the same today as it was the day before last night. Rolo, John. (laughs) So I think the state of the race, I think Nikki Haley still is kind of in, you know, fighting for that number two spot with Ron DeSantis. Uh, one interesting thing that had changed, I think, as I watched it last night, is there were actually some defenders of sending resources to Ukraine to continue their uh, their fight to defend Ukraine against Russia, uh, which you know I think was fitting that they were at the Reagan Library uh, and were talking about crippling Russia's military without shedding a single 
a drop of American blood without any boots on the ground, uh, getting a pretty good bang for our buck to take out half of Putin's army, uh, but crippling an ally of the CCP, uh, stopping his attempt to try and rebuild the old USSR. Uh, and I think that was interesting to see because uh, that's not where I've seen the rhetoric from the party lately. Uh, I've seen much more rhetoric against uh, arming Ukraine, against sending them old surplus and stockpile uh, munitions. Uh, so I think that was something to watch. And then the other thing that I'll be watching uh, is kind of what continues from the Nikki Haley, Tim Scott kind of dust up. Uh, they both come from South Carolina and South Carolina uh, has a long history of being somewhat of a, uh, a viper pit. Uh, they have a long history of operatives who are knife fighters. Uh, this is the home of Lee Atwater and Warren Tompkins, uh, people like Terry Sullivan. Uh, and I think that fight could get nasty. Uh, but I think we saw Nikki Haley bring those sharp elbows uh, last night. And you know, my only criticism of that is that if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, it seemed like she was maybe a little bit more unfocused on where she was directing uh, her ire last night. Uh, so I'll be curious if she kind of uh, tightens that up uh, and refocuses, because if you're fighting everybody, uh, all that we're hearing is that you're fighting. Uh, and I think that she has a really strong message with a vision and a good grasp on policy prescriptions. Uh, so I think it would be a mistake for her to go fully negative on the entire field and just go uh, scorched earth. Uh, but that's South Carolina politics, and I'll be really curious how that uh, plays out in the coming weeks. Uh, we've got, I think, six weeks before the next debate, uh, and I believe that the standards for participation for the next one are a little bit stricter. So uh, hopefully we start to see some uh, narrowing of that field and start to see some consolidation. Uh, but until then, Donald Trump still has a commanding lead and uh, somebody's got to do something to stop it if they want to. Michael, bring it home for us. I don't think there was, there's any substantive change in the state of the race. I think Donald Trump is still in the lead. I do believe that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are still jockeying for this, the number two spot. I would clearly give the advantage to Nikki Haley. I don't see that Ron DeSantis is getting a ton of momentum uh, in these debates and in the discussion point. And so I don't believe there's a substantive change in the state of the race. I'll be curious as we get towards the next debate. I don't have any expectation that Trump will be there. I don't see that there's any reason that he should abandon his strategy of just not engaging the Republican candidates on the same debate stage. It would be beneficial to the party process, I believe he did. But from a tactical standpoint, from a campaign standpoint, I don't think that there's any benefit that he does that. And so ultimately, uh, I think that where we are today is where we were when where we were 24 hours ago and probably where we'll be uh, a month from now, six weeks from now, which is that Donald Trump still has a sizable lead over the his fellow Republican candidates. And it's going to be jockeying for number two. And as of right now, I'd give the inside track that, that Nikki Haley is going to be um, considered the clear alternative in this race to Donald Trump. But that's where I see things. Becky. I don't have a lot to add based on what you all already covered on this topic. One thing I did see, um, I personally thought, and then a couple folks also articulate on Twitter, is um, the surprising fact that this 
debate was held at the Reagan Library, and very few mentions of Ronald Reagan came through, which used to be a mainstay in in almost any and all Republican speeches, debates. You know, you typically, I feel like 10 years ago, especially at the Reagan Library, we would have heard it, you know, a dozen plus times from these candidates. Um, So mine is less about the state of this race and more about the state of the Republican Party right now. I do think that we're I think we're all aware that we're a little lost right now. And I think that that was just a a kind of surprising thing for me that I would have answered in the previous one if I didn't have a a dog that was was barking up a storm. So I think the debate or the the race itself, Trump is in first. We're going to hopefully see a few additional folks drop out here sooner than later. Um, But. It was a rough two hours. I think we all agree. I really appreciate all of you for for sticking it through to come here and chat about it. Um, who knows where we're going to go? But uh, real quick before closing, I want to throw it back to my illustrious co-host. I just wanted to say thank you for everyone for, first of all, um, watching the debate. It's clear that it wasn't on the top of anyone's list, besides maybe Preya, who needed to watch <laughs> it. I don't think it was on anyone's Thursday, uh, Wednesday night must-do I just want to thank you guys for doing this. And I would like to just say on air, I want to put you on the spot and hopefully we can do this one more time after the next debate that happens. And the reason why we wanted to do it is because it's good to get the evolution. And for people that listen to these episodes, get an evolution of your guys' thought process is how the race is evolving. So we hope to do this again for the next debate. And I just want to say again to Becky and to everyone, thank you so much for participating. Thank you for leading this discussion and the rest of you for participating. I find myself finding the more we do this podcast, the less I have to say, because the guests, I enjoy listening to the guests and their analysis and commentary. And I did that very much today again. So thank you all and appreciate your time and uh, making yourself available to do this. Well, Becky, we're in a familiar place today. And the familiar place is that we're discussing our football picks. And you're winning. And well, I have the floor here. Um, <laughs> one of the things we have here is we're discussing football picks. And once again, as I predicted, you uh, have had a technical issue. I would say user error. It's this fair is, to say this time. This was this, user error. This I just want to make sure we're clear about something as I continue to have the con. Week one, you, there was some computer error, user error that led to you only making six picks. Correct. You assured us and our listeners, and including me, that would not happen again. I was somewhat confident that it would likely happen again, that you would have a, an issue with your picks. You also made some accusations about my performance as commissioner and whether I had my thumb on the scale or not. So I want to just update our listeners on something. <laughs> we have, we run this Pick'em League. The... We, but the NFL season does not just start on Sunday. It starts on Thursday nights. And so we recorded an episode on Thursday, and I noticed that your picks were not in. Now, don't want to be a pest, but I, re- I sent you multiple texts, and I made a phone call to you to try to get your attention to make the picks, to make sure your picks were in. And your picks were not in. So you missed, not only did you miss the Thursday night game, but your picks were also not in time for the early Sunday game between the Jaguars and the Falcons who played in London. And just want to point out for the record that despite your assaults on my character as a commissioner, I run a fair league. 
And I went above and beyond the call of duty. You did. To try to get you to submit your picks because I want to beat you fairly. You did. So I'm going to start with my only attack on you was you kind of reminding us like, just so you know, I'm the commissioner. So it was it was in context, a little bit more valid. Now, let me get to my excuses for Thursday and Sunday, because while they're not good excuses, I do have excuses. So I feel like I'm going to share those. Thursday, Wednesday into Thursday night game was a lot. I had a crafting night for my wedding at my mom's house, then came home and had to watch a two-hour waste of time presidential debate, then got up, had my normal meetings. We did a podcast um, live, and then I went to the Twins game for a work event. And then immediately from there, got my son, came home. We did another podcast interview with Aaron Dupree, and then it was bath night and then bedtime. And by the time I look down and see all of the, I'm so grateful for all of your efforts to reach out, it was too late. Now, I just want to clear this up again, because you made this statement via text. <clears throat> bath night for the baby, okay? Now, there was no confusion on my part when you said it was bath night, but you felt the need to follow up with text and make sure that I knew that it was bath night for the kid. Well, so, because I think I just said, sorry for my delay, it's bath night. Like, I, I knew exactly what you were talking about. I knew exactly what you were talking about. There was no need for any follow-up. But since you weird. just said it again on air, I think we should just set the table, make sure it's clear. You were talking about bath time for the kid, which is adorable, right. but just so we're clear. Yep. And he loves it. It's it's one of my favorite times of the week. So that was the Thursday example or excuse. Um, now, the Sunday excuse is... Saturday, I had my bachelorette party. And so Sunday morning, I was just a little behind in life. I was up with my child early. I was up when the game started. And I still failed. Failed. And it's the next, I got it. I got it marked down. Next two more weeks, I hear two or three more weeks that we're going to have the early morning Sunday game. It's all good. Totally my fault. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to have to make up for it. But that doesn't excuse my overall performance this week either. You're terrible. It was terrible. And I got one more excuse for this. Sometimes when I'm down in the points, you got to do some Hail Marys. You got to do some desperation measures. And so I went and picked some of the underdogs for some of these games. It's not always a wise decision to do so. But I thought, hey, maybe I can get one or two that just get lucky, stuff happens, who knows? It was not, not a good strategy this week. And um, I came through, I think I'm sitting here with seven, 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 seven. points for the week. That's, that's pretty bad. Because last week you said slow and steady wins the race. Well, and it you is were going to be slow and It's a steady marathon, not a sprint. You can have a walk mile and still come back in and win that marathon. Correct. Having run true. a marathon, there was some walking involved when I ran, but I did finish. Um, I just want to point out again, because the other claim you made is that you were going to be consistent. So for our listeners keeping score at home, Becky did screw up (laughs) with getting her picks in for two games this week. Yep. Accusations made about my role as the commissioner were proven unfounded because I made an attempt to get a hold of you and you did and your picks. Even the picks you made were just terrible. I know. I I, I I have not a whole lot to stand on here. I think I even tweeted, I am embarrassed. I am ashamed. It was pretty, pretty sad. So as we speak right now, I have a seven-game lead over you. And yeah. as I've also said, my only competition in the league is you. 
I don't care who else wins as long as it's not you and I finish ahead of you. That's my only benchmark. All right. We'll see if next week, if you're in in the same situation as you are right now, which is down very far. I have an alarm set to do the picks early. Hopefully that on top of your email, on top of your text messages. I mean, I, I have no one to blame but myself. Good. I just wanted that record clear. All right. We'll, we'll discuss it next week. We'll see if you make any progress. I'm a fingers crossed. All right. Bye. We want to thank you for the support for The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky. Before we go, be sure to jump over to the platform wherever you listen to your this podcast and give us a review. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. You can find us at Twitter at bbbreakpod. And The big Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky will return next week. Thanks all.